Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. All right, so we're home. We're on lockdown. We can't travel because of the coronavirus, but that doesn't mean we can't do some armchair traveling. Today, an episode about one of my favorite places in the world with one of my favorite fellow podcast hosts, Jackie from the Jump Travel Podcast. Argentina is our destination with a heavy focus on the Patagonia region. And we both geek out on the time we spent there, all the places we love, kind of share notes a bit and share with you some of the places that you might want to consider visiting or maybe even living in. I don't know, basing yourself down there for a while could be something to consider. We share our favorite spot for doing that if you're looking to access all of the beautiful nature in Patagonia and a ton of travel tips here. It's all happening now, so get ready to have a little fun with us today. Take a little you time. You deserve it, and thanks for being here. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience, we've got a good old-fashioned destination episode for you today, heading to the eighth largest country in the world by landmass. Argentina is the world's 32nd most populous country, according to worldatlas.com, but is the world's eighth largest as far as size and incredibly diverse I'll tell you a little secret. Here's how much I love Argentina. I always said if I, for some reason, I don't know why this would happen. This wouldn't happen, right? I don't think I would get kicked out of my home country where I was born in the USA and then permanently get kicked out of where I am right now based, which is Norway. But if for some reason, both of these countries exiled me and they said, Jason, you got to go somewhere else in the world. You're not wanted here anymore, my man. I'm heading to Argentina. That's where I'm going. That's where I would live. I would go right to Argentina, bam, set up shop. And I'll tell you exactly where I would set up shop, which town, well, no, I'm not going to tell you because you're going to hear about that in the episode. It's a town that 
uh, Jackie, our guest today, lived in and based in for a while. That's where I would go. I would go to this town. So you're going to hear about that and uh, all the beautiful nature that's down there. And of course, some travel tips uh, talking about should you book ahead in some of the more popular treks and what is the culture like down there? How do you get to know locals? All the good stuff that we love to chat about here on the show. And we're bringing you something to get your wanderlust lusting. <laughs> is that right? We're going to get your wanderlust lusting again if it hasn't been lusting. But uh, if, if you are a traveler, you've probably already been scoping out the places that you may want to travel to when this madness dies down with the coronavirus. And I just want to give a quick shout out here to Gaia. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. She sent me an email. She said, greetings from Italy. Uh, my name is Gaia and I'm from Italy. I love your podcast. I love that you won't give up. Every day I wake up and go to sleep reading numbers and stats. Sometimes they are scary. Sometimes they are almost hopeful. I open my social media and I see scary pictures of hospitals, healthcare workers, and my people. My city's agonizing. It's been over three weeks of lockdown. It's honestly getting hard to breathe calmly to stay productive and positive. What keeps me dreaming is the memory of my past travels and the passion I have to keep going when this is all over. Your podcast brings me a glimmer of hope for those minutes and I am somewhere else and that feels good. Keep it up and stay safe. This is giving me chills as I read this and I've gotten so many nice emails recently. I just want to say, Gaia, thank you and I'm, I'm glad that the podcast is helping you out in this tough time where our hearts are going out to everybody around the world. And Italy's been hit so hard. It's a country that I've visited multiple times and such warm people, so much variety, delicious food, and your heart breaks when you hear these stories from individuals. We're all reading them. We know what's going on in the world. And, you know, there's one thing when it's just the the sort of general reporting on things but then you hear the individual stories and it really brings all of these situations that people are living through uh, to life and uh, i know if you're listening to this you're dealing with some situation the way everybody else is everybody has their own sort of challenges and version of what is going on for them personally whether hopefully you're healthy um, maybe you know somebody who who isn't healthy maybe you've had sickness uh, maybe it's just the isolation that's getting to you. There are business issues with people that their businesses are falling apart. I know the travel industry has pretty much died overnight. And uh, a lot of people have been affected in all kinds of industries. So just affecting people in so many ways. And I just want to say that I'm thinking about you. I'm sending you uh, warm love, warm vibes. And I just uh, really appreciate hearing from you all and, and the people have taken the time to write to, to let me know that the podcast is helping and that I should continue to keep publishing this travel stuff for you. It really helps to encourage me. I just appreciate all of you in this community. So I don't mean to go on and on too much, but just I love y'all and thank you for, uh, for just being here, being a part of this. Stay strong and let's keep working through these challenges together and much love. Okay. Let's get in the show today. Get into the show today. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional there, uh, but that can happen. Let's go. Let's talk Argentina. <laughs> 
Uh, I had a great chat with Jackie, and this is a special show because we had a bit of a studio audience, quote unquote. They weren't, they were live, but it was all virtual, and that added a fun element to this as well. So, uh, please enjoy my chat with Jackie, all about Argentina, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. This is a unique episode in many ways. I am here. First of all, we have a, I'm using air quotes, a live studio audience here online. Uh, we're here with the Location Indie community, and I'm pleased to welcome my friend Jackie from TravelingJackie.com to the Zero to Travel podcast and everybody else who's here. So welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Woohoo! I'll speak for them all <laughs> since they're all on mute. I think we're all happy to be here. <laughs> Yay, I see some fist pumps in there. <laughs> Woo, fist pumps. Um, we do these Travel Talk Tuesday events and uh, we thought, well, this will be fun because you've spent so much time in Argentina, Jackie. And as soon as that came up as a topic, I mean, I had spent about three and a half months there in 2006, but I'm sure a lot's changed and you've been there so many times now and you've got so many great local contacts there. So I thought, well, let's just bring Jackie in and have her give us the lay of the land, so to speak. And you know, at the time of this recording, we're sort of in the beginning-ish of the coronavirus thing. So I just kind of wanted to mention that to say, we're going to focus on travel today. We're, we're not going to talk about that. You don't want to get medical advice from me or anything like that. I am going to say that we will travel again. We believe in the power of travel to connect people. And I think we're getting more connected maybe than ever in different ways now through this experience. But uh, we want to keep it uh, focus on travel to keep people excited about that day when it will come again for for all of us. So just wanted to to mention that. So anyway, Jackie, tell us about your experience in Argentina because you run trips there. I, I don't know when you fell in love with that country and why it became a fascination for you. So I this is something I've been wanting to ask you for a while. So how did that how did Argentina become like so near and dear to your heart? Mm. I love this question. And actually, I'm going to take you back for a second because Argentina is one of those places that people told me, specifically me, knowing me that I love mountains and specific things in my world. They said, don't go to Argentina until you have time to stay. I've also gotten that advice about Switzerland, New Zealand. You kind of get the picture like Norway is one of those, you know, like the big places. And that's true because they're all the ones that are on top of my bucket list. But this was my idea of Argentina. And I went to Patagonia first on the Chilean side in 2015. Um, and I, my whole world was kind of, I mean, it was an interesting time for me to begin with, but I was blown away. And I remember them saying when we were on, on the bus on day one, they were like, Argentina is right over there, you know? And I'm like, Argentina has always been this, this thing. And, um, in my head. And as it turns out, I, I was on, I was beginning a, a nomadic mm, phase of my life, we'll say at that point. And within five months I had been from, from Chile, I actually went West. I, I don't know who does this, but I went West all the way to Asia and then Europe. And then I was in Europe, like freaking out, where do I go? What do I do? And I said, Argentina, why shouldn't I? You were Argentina. right there. And then you, <laughs> I know. So I went all the way back. I literally, so, and I chose Bariloche, which is really funny because it's literally like as the crow flies, or I should say as the condor flies, it's probably like 80 
miles from where I was in Chile uh, at the beginning. And then I went all the way around the world to come back to that very spot. And I decided to live there for three months in Bariloche. Um, and as I mentioned, I was in kind of an interesting phase in my life. I had just left everything behind and started fresh. And so that was a really uh, foundational phase for me. So I carry something a little bit extra when it comes to Argentina, I think. Um, it's played a big role in my in my self-discovery. So it started there in Bariloche. But from there, I went, of course, traveling back into Chile again, southern Patagonia. Um, and eventually, I've also traveled in Tierra del Fuego, which is the triangular-shaped island at the base of all of those broken up islands at the bottom of Chile and Argentina and also northern Argentina, um, the Salta area, which is completely different. And I've also been to Buenos Aires as well. Um, but so, so that's kind of my geographical experience and, um, the personal experience has, I mean, I can't really, we'll talk about the, the, the what to do experiences here because Argentina is powerful. At least for me, it's been pivotal. So, yeah, uh, for me as well, uh, the time, the three and a half month stint I spent there was after touring for many years. And I was like, you know what? Cause all the, the touring jobs I took a lot of times the high season was summer. So I was like, you know, I want to do all this camping and hiking and rafting. I want to do just like all the outdoor adventures that I ever wanted to do when I'm working and I can only do occasionally and just have like a killer summer somewhere and that's essentially what we did went to patagonia and just like said hey we're just gonna have summer here and just do all the outdoor activities we can and it was uh it was life-changing on many levels and the people i mean we're gonna get into all that but it's funny you said that that's a place that uh, your friend said that you would want to stay because i always say if i got somehow kicked out of norway and the usa like i had to go to some third-party nation argentina and I would probably base in Bariloche because of the proximity to um, Patagonia. Yeah, so a uh, lot to talk about here. All right, let's um, let's talk about the people first because the best way to know a country is through its people. What has been your experience with the people down there, and what what do you? How would you describe them? And I know it's like you don't want to generalize too much, but if you can give us the essence of. Uh, the Argentinians, what they, what, what kind of people they are. Well, I think this is going to be a really good analogy. Do you know mate? Yes. Like the, what you drink out of the gourd, you pass around this. Yeah. Explain, think, explain it to everybody. Okay. What the ritual is and everything. I will, because this also, I think explains the Argentinian people very well. The mate, first of all, it's a social event. <laughs> mate is the gourd itself. And it's also the drink. It's also the herb. It's like a strong tea, basically. And they have like seven steps for how to brew the perfect mate that everybody there knows, like probably from birth. You know, you you pour in the, the herb. You there's, a, there's one matero, there's one person who pours the mate in your circle, okay? And they are responsible for keeping it the perfect temperature, the perfect sweetness. All of these things are the only ones who touch it. Otherwise, when you pass it around the circle, you just take a sip or keep it for as long as you want. It's like, that's your turn with the mate. You keep it for as long as you want. And when you're done, if there's still something left, you pass it on. If there isn't, you pass it back to the person with the 
thermos and they reset it and then pass it out again. And when you're done with the mate, you say, thank you. And if you say thank you, it means you're done. So don't say thank you after every turn. It's really interesting. But basically this, this is something they do morning, afternoon, night. It doesn't matter. They're always having mate together. And I think it really represents the kind of culture that they are because they, they love community. They love to share. They're extremely generous. Um, and everything for them happens like socially. And so that's one of the biggest things that's stood out to me as far as the people go is it's, it's like their willingness to share everything that they do, whether it's their talents or their mate, you know? Um, and so I think they're, they're a very social group. In fact, if you travel and you see people, this is funny because now I've learned this, but when you, when you're child, even in Europe, say you're walking down the street in Berlin and there's, there's a couple like kind of hippie on the side of the road playing guitar or like juggling or something with a bucket out. They're probably Argentinians. Like there's, these people are talented. They travel everywhere and they love to share what they have. And so, um, they're really open. They were very welcoming to me when I was there. Yeah. And super passionate I find in many ways. And they have the best Spanish accents that you can have. I think I love the Argentinian Spanish because it's got this Italian flavor that's sing-songy. And if I was going to spend time learning Spanish, like actually mastering Spanish, I know you speak Spanish. I would do it there in a heartbeat because it's, it's fun. It's fun to speak Spanish there. You're just like... Uh, what do you say? Escuchame, escuchame. And it's like, uh, I feel <laughs> like, you know, I throw my hands around and just kind <laughs> yeah. of... Yeah, that's totally I, I agree. I love so I, I'm a huge language nerd and I do speak Spanish and I I've had this thing with the with this problem with the Argentinian accent for a long time because they use the voz. OK, which is I, I'm going to try not to nerd out too much about this, but it's technically incorrect according to grammar in Spanish. And so I've always been kind of fascinated by this idea it's like why is it that they use it? And it's not just Argentina. This is actually used all throughout Latin America, although most people have no idea. But Argentina is most known for it. And so I actually learned more about it, where it came from, why they use it. And of co- I'm like a sponge when it comes to language. It's, it's my thing. I love language. And now I speak, I can speak with it. I have to turn it on because otherwise, like I'm not going to speak to you with the voice. But when I was in Argentina, I would get laughed at if I used tu. You know, like it, it was, it was funny to people. It was funny to my friends that I would say that. And so I actually switched and started using the voice. Like once I figured it out, once I understood grammatically what was happening in the language, then it was easy for me to turn on and just start using it. And now it's funny because as I travel and I speak Spanish, people say, are you from Argentina? You know, I mean, I also get Spain, which is totally weird to me, but they ask me if I'm from Argentina and it's like, well, I know why it's because I spent some time there and it's funny too because I my second language I should say third the second language that I learned was Italian and when I learned Italian people told me you you speak Italian with a Spanish accent I'm like okay everything is going to be Spanish now like that's going to be the accent when I try to speak any foreign language after living in Argentina <laughs> I found this so amazing that it just kind of like sat me down and made me shake my head and laugh I went back to Italy And I was, because my Spanish has changed into this Argentinian style, (laughs) I was speaking Italian with this 
awesome Italian accent. I'm like, whoa, wait, what's going on here? Like, how is it that Argentina has actually improved my Italian? But it's, I don't know. It's fun. It ended up working out in your favor, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in <laughs> the did. end. Um, all right. Well, we're going to get into destinations. I mean, this is travel talk, right? So we're going to talk a lot about the things to do, where to go, what you like, uh, the vibes of some places. But just sticking on language for a second, I know there are, uh, are a subset of people that may be intimidated to travel to an, a country where they don't speak the language, right? And I know some countries are, it's much easier. English is everywhere. And other countries, not so much, but you figure it out. So rest assured, if you go, you're going to figure it out. But I'm just wondering where in the spectrum Argentina falls in your opinion. In in which of, of countries? As far as, to... far as like somebody coming in that doesn't know Spanish, is it difficult to navigate? You know, it's, it could be. Or connect. Or it connect depends with on people. where you are. I think it depends on where you go. Argentina is really vast. It's a really big country. And so you're going to have places like the city, uh, Buenos Aires, for example, that you're going to find English speakers and it's going to be easy to navigate. That's, that's fine because it's touristic. Like that's, that's the reason. The further you venture into the beautiful parts of Argentina, <laughs> the harder it may be because there are, I mean, I had friends, I, when I was there living in Bariloche, my friends didn't speak English. I think I had one out of the few like closer friends that I had who actually spoke enough English to be conversational. And one was none, none at all. And she was my first uh, couch surfing host. When I, when I first moved there, I stayed with a couch surfer cause I wanted to meet people it was like, all right, well, good thing I do speak the language because I mean, she would have, she accepts people no matter what she loves learning other people's languages. For example, you know, she's willing to work with you, but it would have been more difficult had I not, uh, known the language. Um, I would just say this is part, I mean, obviously it's the same everywhere, but it's part of the adventure. Um, and luckily since it is Spanish and most, at least for this community, uh, U.S. citizens, a, a lot of us have at least a little bit of Spanish under our belts. Um, that's going to help you a lot. And I would always recommend um, brushing up and making sure you can say hello and thank you and goodbye and cheers and I need five beers and all those other important things. I would say because of the because of the generosity and and hospitality of the people, it's less intimidating. But at the same time, go learn a language. <laughs> You also, yeah, need to be able to stay up late if you're going to hang out <laughs> in the yeah. cities. Or have right? no friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. like people are going out at like 11, 12. You're like, all right, I guess I'm going out now. Yeah, <laughs> we go. 12, okay, the sun's up again. Two. Let's do this again tomorrow. Oh, um, I don't know how they do it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's start north and w kind of work our way south because I have not spent any time up in the north and I wanted to learn a little bit about what you like in terms of destinations. Uh, I can't ask you for a 101, like you said, it's a giant country, but given your experience, I'm just wondering if you want to highlight some things for us here. Yeah, sure. Um, I was in Salta for an adventure travel conference. So we had a couple of activities that we got to do there. And that is a really beautiful region. So I, I highly definitely would recommend Salta. It's a little bit under the radar. It's like it's wine country. I don't know if you guys know Torontes, the it's a white wine. 
how do you even say it in English? Toronto, Torontes? I'm not sure how people would know it like from the stores here, but I never even knew about that wine until I went to Salta. And it's, but for example, that's, it's, that's where it comes from. So it's wine country. So if you can imagine wine country in the middle of sort of Arizona, that's, that's what that Northern, that specific region of Argentina looks like. Um, it's super laid back. If you're looking for kind of like a hacienda experience, just like in the mountains with horses, um, some cultural dancing, whatever, like that's what you're going to find there. And of course, Argentina is absolutely full of good food and good wine. Um, so you're going to get that everywhere. Also Salta is right across the border from Atacama, which is an incredible destination in Chile. And so if you're looking at going to Atacama, it would be an easy, uh, addition to that trip. And right north of that is the Salar de Uyuni, the salt flats in Bolivia that we all know about. And so that whole region, don't forget Argentina, it's right there. Um, so one region I have not been to in Argentina that I think maybe some of your, some of these people have is, um, Iguazu, the falls, uh, Iguazu falls, because it's, it's tri border, it's Argentina and, um, and Brazil and, uh, there's Paraguay's up in there. And yeah, so, um, I, I can't speak to that cause I haven't done it, but I do think that if you're going to be around, that would be a, a good, a worthy stopover. Heck yeah. Um, and also happy news is that they, now we don't have a, can we talk about visas for one second? There used to be a visa for Americans for Argentina. It is no longer. So you don't have to worry about that. Meaning a visa. Okay. You still get the stamp, but there used to be a visa reciprocity fee, 160 bucks. That's gone. They lifted that um, a month after I moved there in 2016. So I got to pay it. Uh, but that's gone. And actually just last year, I believe it was, they lifted the one for Brazil, which is absolutely massive. Um, it makes it way easier to cross into Brazil. So if you're going, if you're going to be in Northern Argentina, you can, um, way easier, you know, go across into Brazil now without spending 160 bucks just to go for the day or whatever. So, um, there's also that, uh, moving South, there's a region in the middle of Argentina called La Rioja, which if you want beautiful, serene, kind of isolated desert, that's where you should go. Um, it's more, in, in the central region and it's still, uh, north of Mendoza. So, and then you have Mendoza, which is wine country. I've also never been there, but I would love, I would love to go for me. I, I considered Mendoza or Bariloche when I was moving there. And, um, basically it came down to wine and soft adventure or craft beer and hard adventure. And I chose right. the latter. And so that's why I went <laughs> south to Bariloche. But Mendoza was definitely on my <laughs> radar. And you, <laughs> so that's it, a great breakdown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also a note on Mendoza. Um, you can get flights from Santiago really cheaply. So it's like the only place because Argentina and Chile don't really play well together. So no matter like where you are in Argentina, a lot of times you have to go back to Buenos Aires before you fly to Santiago and get wherever you are, unless it's like a land crossing, you know? And so, um, Mendoza is one place that it's so close to Santiago that you can, um, you can get like $50 flights from Santiago into Mendoza. It's like an hour. It's super quick. So, uh, you could even do that in a few days if you're going to Chile. Keep that in mind. Okay. Are you let's say? Should we keep going south? Oh yeah, we can keep going. Um, I I was just going to interject really quick a total sidebar, but I forgot to mention your podcast, Jump. 
of course, you have a travel podcast. So I just wanted to throw that out there in case anybody hadn't heard <laughs> That's it because yet. of the, um, the well-formed um, introduction that you that you graced us all with. <laughs> <laughs> Circling back minutes later. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about um, Bariloche. San yeah. Carlos de Bariloche. Like I said, I mean, that's that seems to me to be the gateway to Patagonia in some respect. And I know that's a, a pretty, I would say probably a heavily touristed town, if you want to call it that, or a lot of international, an international scene. Talk to us about that town, kind of what it's around and getting into Patagonia. Is that a good place to stop? What's around there to see? And we can just, you know, keep moving south into Patagonia from there. And by the way, we should probably define for people uh, listening what Patagonia yes. is. It's like, is that its own country? Yeah. So you want to just... Yeah give the overview on that. I would love to. I was going to start with that anyway, because it is a big thing to say, oh, it's the gateway to Patagonia. If you understand what Patagonia is, imagine me saying, oh, it's the gateway to New England. You're like, wait, what? Where? There's so many ways to get there. You know, like New England is not like a strict, well, I mean, if you talk to a New Yorker, it might be, but if there's not like lines on a map that says this is New England. You're now in New England. It's the same right. thing. I, I was Patagonia. still riding on the like the long bus ride from Buenos Aires that I took, I guess. That was that was oh. my experience, right? Please don't <laughs> take the bus, you guys. It's like a thirty five hour bus ride. Just fly. Uh, yeah, it's an hour and a half. <laughs> um no, it's it's hundred and fifty bucks. It's three hours. It's hundred and fifty bucks uh to take those flights. But Yeah. So Patagonia, basically, it starts where Bariloche is. And on on the Chilean side, that's Puerto Varas. It's the same. That's like where it starts on both sides. And it goes all the rest of of Chile and Argentina. It's the entire basically bottom quarter of both countries. Um, It's actually 90 percent steppe, which is desert. It's which is surprising because you think of it as mountains. But really, the Cordillera... Uh, the mountain range of the Andes is the only part of the whole thing that's mountainous. And the rest of it is just desert all the way to the ocean. Um, so most of that in Argentina is, is what they call step, the step S T E P P E. But Bariloche is considered the, like where it starts. That is an incredible region. It's, it's known as the Lake district. Um, and when you go there, Oh man, it's, if you can imagine Switzerland, like, Imagine all the mountains and all the little villages and then just put all these beautiful blue lakes all in there. That's Bariloche. It is that town specifically has a population of about 100,000, which is surprising because it doesn't feel that big when you're in the center of it. Um, Back in the day, it was settled by German and Swiss influence big time. And so they still have there's a lot of that in their architecture. Um, They even have St. Bernard's down there, which is trippy. But do they have giant barrels around their necks? They do. Literally, (laughs) they they actually do. And they take them into the square and charge you to take pictures with them because they know that you want to. It's like, I don't know. But they're treated well. I'm just not going to get by without taking a picture with this dog. Well, when they have litters of puppies, it's hard not to. Um, But they also have, um, Bariloche is also known for its chocolate which is not a bad thing. It's gelato because there's a huge Italian influence down there. Um, craft beer is unreal down there. Yeah, tell me about the craft beer scene because that was non-existent when I was there. Oh. It was uh, the kil- kilmes all the way. Oh, 
sorry. All the way, baby. I mean, the big now bottles. You, can you get... gotta share them. <laughs> you get the big <laughs> bottle and you share yeah, it, and it goes totally. so fast. I don't know how it goes so fast. <laughs> I know. I've it goes faster that. than just drinking your own beer. I don't understand why that is. It's physics, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, now you can get a black IPA. It's like on every corner in Barrio Leche, there's a, there's a brewery. Um, a few of them were started in the in Buenos Aires and also have a satellite in Barrio Leche. For example, Antares is one of those. Um, there's, But there are so many. It's like the the capita, I don't even know. Per capita, it's got to be the most in like all of South America. <laughs> I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But uh, yeah, the, the breweries are definitely catching on moving forward. They're adapting American styles, um, which is cool because they you know, it's, that's what's, that's what makes them interesting. I think like no offense to Germany, but they've got that whole Reinheitsgebot thing going for them. And they really like keeping things traditional. Whereas, um, the, most of the craft beer movement these days is known for experimentation and they're all over it. So it's a really good destination for craft beer. In fact, when I led my, I led a group trip in the Patagonian Lake district a couple of years ago. And part of the element of that trip was breweries. We hit I don't know how many breweries on that trip. I did a, a brewery crawl one night when we were in Bariloche just to experience it because it's such a thing down there. So yeah, beer fans. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. This is another reason why I feel like, oh, I got to get back down there. I mean, mm-hmm. for many for reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. may- maybe one of them because something, there's something about outdoor adventure and beer for me it pairs well totally yeah after a long day on the trail which is also we probably should talk about that because that's one of the greatest things in Bariloche is the access to the mountains and the hiking um it has a pretty good public transportation system as well which I was dependent on when I was there although in in a perfect world you're going to be in Bariloche with your truck and your tent camping gear paddleboard bike all the things. Unfortunately, it doesn't really happen that way. So you've either got to rent or like figure that out. I was missing my toys so much when I was down there because there's so much more to explore. If you do have the opportunity to go with gear, that's how you should do it. Um, but I did get around with the, with the public transportation. There were several really nice, beautiful and demanding hikes that I fell in love with. And I mean, I'd hike up to refugios and have pizza and beer and then hike back down, you know, and, it's ah, oh, it's so amazing. There's like no Wi-Fi back there. No one wants it. There's only Argentinians with guitars. It's pretty cool. And mate, <laughs> and mate. That's pretty. Yeah. Cool. One time I was uh, around a campfire with some Argentinians with guitars who were great, and then they passed the guitar to me, and I was like, I'm not good. And then, um, <laughs> and then they were like, Oh, they were all you know encouraging and passionate, and I was like, All right, all right, you guys are so encouraging. And then I played and, and tried to sing, and then they were like, No, no, you're you're not good. <laughs> just took it back. <laughs> hey, you <laughs> tried. Like, That's good. I was like, Hey, That's man, great. I appreciate your honesty, you know. And um, also, I have a lot of work to do, so I'll just um, slink into the corner now. You nail it when you go out into the backcountry. It's not like one of those situations where you're traveling someplace and you see a lot of foreigners. I mean, you might see some foreigners there, but also it, the people from that country are out enjoying the nature. Like they seem to be very much in the outdoor kind of mentality mm-hmm. down there yeah. as they, as I Actually, would imagine living there is. Yeah. The majority of the tourists that I saw were, were coming from the city. So they were from Buenos Aires. They call them porteños down there. And then also Brazilians. So it was local. 
it was very local that the tourism there, I mean, there weren't a lot of, there really weren't a lot of, of northerners, I guess, down there. No. North American. I mean, that's one of the things I think is, is really cool is that you're doing all this outdoor stuff and you're with locals who are enjoying yeah. it too. Um, yeah. They're... We'll talk about the refugios because that's okay. like a countrywide thing, mm-hmm. right? Or at least a Patagonia thing. Yeah. And that's something that if somebody hasn't heard that term before, this is something they should know about for sure. Yeah. Refugios um, are basically just mountain huts and often they are strategically placed such that you can hike from one to another. There is one circuit in Bariloche. Uh, I'm not remembering the name of it at the moment, but um, it's four days or you can make it into four days because, because of the overnights that you can hit in the huts. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Um, I didn't have the right gear with me to do that when I was down there, nor was I actually in the right headspace to, to take on some of these adventures, um, to be honest with you. But there are also day hikes you can do up to some of these refugios. Refugio Frey, I just saw Lynn mention that in the comments there, um, was my favorite. Oh my gosh. And when you go, I mean, it's like, that was a 10 mile hike. So you're five miles in, this is behind Cerro Catedral, which is the ski area right there in Bariloche. So it's easy to get to. It starts from the ski area, but you hike behind it. And by the time you get up there, there's just this craggy range of spires with this lake and this little stone built refugio with a bright red door and like the smell of pizza coming out of it. And when you get up there, people are just dotted around the landscape in the sun. There are tents set up. There's literally, there's people playing guitar. There's people lounging on the ground. There's, you hear suddenly a a yell from somewhere and you look up and you realize there are people climbing the spires. It's a huge climbing destination. This spot specifically, Refugio Frey. Um, And so it's, oh man, it's like transporting elsewhere. And it's, beautiful. They, there's a saying in Patagonia, if I can remember it in Patagonia, there is no Wi-Fi, but you always find a deeper connection. And it's, it's super true because the last thing you want is anything having to do with the outside world when you're there, you know, and that's the feeling that I would get every time that I went into the, into the woods there, there was another hike that I really loved. That's super short, but it's one of my favorite hikes ever. It's only like a mile and a half. I think it's less than two miles total to get to the top. And it's out at the end of the, um, at the end of the bus line. So the bus only takes you so far on what's called the kilometers. Um, and if you keep going in a car, you can do the circuito chico, the small circuit, which is like a little circle that you can drive. There's little villages dotted. A lot of people bike it, but the bus line stops at a certain point. And if you get off there, you can walk like almost a mile into the trees. And then there's a trailhead to it's called Shao Shao. Well, okay. In Argentinian, it's called Shao Shao. It's Yao Yao with double L Shao Shao. Cerro Shao Shao. And, um, it is, once you get up there, it's like you have a three, oh, I'm getting so excited. I'm hitting my microphone. Um, you have a 360 degree view of just the, oh man, it's the most incredible. It's like the place that I go in my mind when I need to see something beautiful. It's just, you can see the the arms of Lago Nahuelhuapi, that's what it's called, the lake, um, going into, deep into the mountains, just jutting straight up from the 
blue water. It's and these mount the the trees on the way there. They're they're called koiwis, and they are and um. <laughs> not going to use the word pandemic. They are endemic to pa- to Patagonia right now. <laughs> that was close. Um meaning they only <laughs> they only grow there. They are endemic. They are native to the location. Um and they're unreal. They're a type of they're a type of they're in the family I think of beech trees. Um but they are these ma- and these ones specifically are extra big. In the, in the rest of the Patagonian region, you can find them as well, but these ones specifically are huge and they make the most incredible forest that I've ever seen. It's my favorite forest. That's why this walk, which is even flat, it's like not even hard <laughs> and it's unreal. It's so beautiful. By the way, I'm talking about all these things. I have details about how to do this on my blog. If, if you want me, I, I can share this, uh, this posts with you so that people can access them by bus, just like I did. Cause it's all in there. Um, yeah, that would that would be great. I mean, I know you run trips down there too, so um, yeah. that's something that people can find yeah. on your website, travelingjackie.com. Yeah. And speaking of that, let's talk about logistics because that's one of those questions uh, and we'll focus on maybe the independent traveler because obviously if you're going with Jackie, she's already got it sorted, so you don't have to worry about it. But if you're uh, going as an independent traveler, let's take uh, just a few examples here. Like say you want to do some backcountry hiking and stay in refugios or like it's not just a day hike, but you're going to hike from one to the other or um, like living in Bariloche, for example. I mean, I know it's a lot of logistics questions. Everybody has their own situation. But if you want to give us some rough examples of maybe like costs, how hard is it to, you know, go during the high season and like track on one of the popular tracks? Is it like impossible? Do you have to... Uh, reserve everything in advance. What's been your experience with logistics? Regarding seasons, it, it depends on where you're going because, for example, in Bariloche, you shouldn't have a problem uh, accessing those refugios and, and you know, even in high season. I mean, I lived there in the peak of their high season, which was January, February, March, April. Um, that's summer down there. And January really is their high season. But in places like Bariloche, like a little bit more off the beaten path, you don't notice it so much. Um, and so I know that as I mean, even though I didn't spend the night in any of these refugios, I was invited to go on a couple of those trips. And to my knowledge, um, there were no reservations involved. It was just, here's when we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. Like you find space. They're Argentinians. They share, you know? (laughs) So, um, that wasn't even, I'm not even sure how you would go about that. I think you can, I mean, I would just Google that honestly, because I don't know how to make those reservations in, in places like Bariloche. If we're talking about something like well, I mean, this is in Chile, but we should talk about like the Torres del Paine mm-hmm. because it's like yeah. the one everybody That's where knows, I was going with even this. though we're talking about Argentina. Yeah. But if you're going down yeah. there, you've, you've maybe heard this probably oh, the yeah. most, one of the more famous walks in the world. Yeah. So in fact, that's uh, maybe probably, we should talk about that. Yeah. That's what's yeah. probably drawing you down there. Anyway, that one is absolutely complicated. Um, completely. And I'll, and I'll tell you why in really simply it's because the land in that park that national park Torres del Paine National Park the land is actually owned by three different entities and so those entities that make up the same exact trek have to work together <laughs> to make your reservations make sense and that means that the person booking has to really understand what they're doing and people don't they have no idea 
what anything looks like. And that is why it is so much easier to book with a company because they are the ones who have the connections with each of those three entities who own and can get the reservations on the right days in the right direction so that you can come with the right bus transportation on either end slash sometimes it's a boat. Um, yeah. For, for that specific to, for that specific uh, hike, circuit, it's yeah. Super like I, I had a tent, so it wasn't a problem. Like I could always stay outside of the refugios. But if you wanted indoor, however, uh, at least then, then yeah. Now though, you have to have reservations. You have to have the permits. It's getting so full. Please do not go, you guys, without reservations. Don't be that person. Not just because you might find yourself without a place to sleep, but because they need to know who's coming, you know? And um, you cannot wild camp in in that national park. Uh, fires are strictly prohibited. The whole thing burned, like, f- uh, how long ago was that? 10 years ago now? Um and so it's really, really important as this place specifically is getting, seeing more and more and more impact and, and tourism every year that we have to, we follow these guidelines um, in order to save the place and allow it to stay open um, and allow them to restore the trails. I mean, they're, they're asking people to stay on specific places because they're having to restore areas that have been trampled. I mean, it's, it's pretty bad down there. And so that's why I, I, personally love, um, I mean, for so many reasons leading my trips down there, but I also, I highly encourage, this is the way to do Torres del Paine. If you're going to go, um, book it through, you don't have to have a guide even, but please book it through somebody who understands what to do for you. It's just easier. It sounds like than trying to book everything independently. And I, I mean, I, I know several operators down there. I can give you, um, an idea of where to start. If you, if you want, I actually have worked with an operator called Chile Nativo. And I don't know if you'll allow me to say this, but you can get a 5% discount if you tell them traveling Jackie sent you and they will take care of everything for you and you don't have to do it guided. Um, and so, I mean, there are things like that, that, that are in place. Fantastico Sur also, uh, Fantastico Sur, like fantastic Sur is S U R. They are one of the owners of one of the pieces of land. So you can go through them. You can go through Vertice, V-E-R-T-I-C-E, Vertice Patagonia. They are also one of the owners. Um, The other owner is the government. And so that doesn't really work. But there are a lot of companies that will, even when you do self-guided, they'll arrange it for you. It ends up being, it's expensive. I would say at least $800 probably if you want to do eight refugios. But if you're doing tents and bringing all your own food, way different. The last time I went, I didn't have any access to gear. And so I, I did it that way independently. And it was about 800 bucks a person. That was also four years ago. And I also know, unfortunately for everybody, <laughs> they are doubling prices these days. Like prices have skyrocketed in recent years. And so that is just simply a very expensive and very complicated trip. So have patience when you're doing that one. Um, it's nothing like going to Bariloche and hiking to the refugios. Not even close. I mean, you barely see people on the trail when you do that, you know. So yeah, I liked uh, El Bolson too, which is like mm. a little hippie town that's south of yeah. Bariloche. Also a good climbing destination. I mean, I wanted to touch on Torres del Paine because obviously that's such a famous spot. So I imagine if people are gonna make the the trek down there so to speak then that might be someplace they end up but 
Uh, just within Patagonia, coming back to the Argentinian side, what are some of the other spots? Uh, just highlight a couple other spots that you really love and, and why. Um, well, we haven't talked about Tierra del Fuego at all either. But actually, before we go there, let's talk about the flip side to Torres del Paine because on the other side of the border is El Chalten and Perito Moreno, which is the most fabulous glacier I have ever seen four times. It's amazing. El I mean, Chalten is my... I love that place. Like, I, I don't know what it's like now. I imagine it's a lot bigger. I don't know. I have no idea no, what it's like it's now. No, it's not bigger. But I mean, really? I don't know when you went, but it's so small. It's like there, the population there is like... 3,000 people, and then in the high season, it's 6,000 people. It's teeny. El Chalten is oh, an amazing little corner of the planet that is home to Fitzroy, which is, if you guys picture the Patagonia, the Patagonia label, the, the clothing label, their logo was inspired by Fitzroy. That big mountain in the middle is Fitzroy. Um, and that is real. And that is El Chalten, that's in El Chalten. And that's a major climbing destination. Um, it's been in, I mean, Fitzroy, Cerro Torre, they've been in multiple, um, climbing documentaries. It's a world-class destination for the world's elite climbers. And so that's kind of what it's known for. It's a really sleepy laid back kind of climbing village with, Adventure companies who will take you out on a hike if you want. You can do them all self-guided. If you do want to do any mountaineering, you must have a permit and you must go with guides for that. For example, on the hike to Cerro Torre is one of... It's actually maybe my favorite hike ever. And when you get to a certain point on this hike, if you go a certain direction because you have an option. But there's one spot where suddenly there's a river that comes down out of the glacial lake and there's a they call it in English, a Tyrolean traverse. It's like a cable line. And from there, that's where you have to have a permit to continue. And you literally have to use this cable to get over the river to continue your approach to the glacier, to the yes. spires. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> and every good trip has to have a Indiana Jones moment, oh, man. you know, where yeah. you're like walking across a bridge and it's swaying <laughs> and you can see through it. And if you dropped, you would fall like 500 feet yeah. or... Tyrolean Traverse across yeah. the river. Oh, <laughs> not your jam? <laughs> no, I've done it. I mean, I have not on yeah. that one. I've done it on a way crazier one that I actually have video of. It was like a class six rapid uh, up in Futaleofu. There's, there's a word for you. That's also on the Chilean side of Patagonia, but it's a it's a it's a one of the top rated rivers in the world to raft. And this one rapid is like, famous and there's a hiking circuit that I did that was like hut to hut. It was super cool up in there. <laughs> and the way out was over this Tyrolean traverse that they hooked up in front of my eyes, meaning it's not like normally established and stable. They hook it up every time. And then one by one, we had to go over this thing. And I cannot tell you how terrified I, I'm so afraid of water. And that thing was like, I, it was Indiana Jones to the max. I survived. <laughs> there was a hot tub waiting. Yeah. It was, Tina Caliente. That's another thing about Chilean Patagonia. It's amazing. The hot tubs there. They're all wood-fired hot tubs. Oh, it's really good with a craft beer after a long hike. <laughs> what I really loved from what I remember is I stayed at a hospital at the edge of town and then you could just walk into the national park from there and just go off. And it was just uh, the proximity to all the nature was incredible. And you could just kind of do your own thing and come back and then... 
again, there weren't any craft breweries at the time, but I'm sure now. Oh, there, there's one in El Chalten. It's called La Cerveceria, which means the okay. brewery. Super original. Yeah. Delicious. Though. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then, um, yeah, Tierra del Fuego, the southernmost point yeah. in, in the world, right? I mean, outside of Antarctica, I guess. But sort of, although Chile would argue, because there is another island, Navarino, which is south of uh, Tierra del Fuego. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that has a, a town. It's a sibling rivalry. Oh, yeah. Right? It's so it healthy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it is also true, though, that there is actually a city to the south of Ushuaia, which claims to be the southernmost city in the world. But that's a, that's a topic for another day. Um, yeah, Ushuaia itself, it, it's out of the way. So this is kind of, you know, it's not on the way to anywhere. Obviously, it's the bottom of the world. But it is, it's a trip going there because it's so windy that even the landing of your plane is is like an adventure. And you're just happy that you're still standing after the plane lands. And I mean, the weather, the Patagonia, we haven't talked about the weather yet, but it is probably responsible for 90% of those Indiana Jones moments because of its crazy unpredictability, which is part of the adventure in Patagonia. And when that wind embraces you, you feel it to your soul and it makes you feel alive big time. Uh, but yeah, for mountain adventures, kayaking, hiking, um, going to the the, the farthest point on the Pan American highway, which is, which means you can continuously drive all the way from, I think it's like Barrow, Alaska, all the way. Well, okay. Let's say you have to get on a cargo boat for a minute from Panama to Colombia, but then you can keep driving all the way, all the way, all the way down to this one spot, um, which is in a national park outside of Ushuaia. Um, so that's a cool spot to visit because you can say you've been there to the end of the road. Um, there are some really, really remote, remote adventures there. Um, and I have some uh, up on my blog from that as well, but it's gorgeous. It's the closest thing to, I think, New Zealand that I've seen. I haven't been to New Zealand mm. because it's, it's beautiful ocean with the mountains right there. There's so much beautiful nature there. It's crazy. All right. I hesitate to ask about cost because especially with Argentina, it's like one minute the economy is this way, the next minute it's this way. But just to give people a rough idea of what things cost as an independent traveler. Like, for example, when you were living, like say as a nomad or something, you want to go base yourself in Bariloche or something like that. What what do you, roughly would you pay for an apartment there? Um, well, And is it hard to find? It's not that... Well, okay, it kind of is hard to find because a lot of the... At least where I was, like in Bariloche, I learned that a lot of people are would rather rent to long-term locals... Then, short, which is like the opposite problem that we have here, right? Um, they'd rather have something stable than flip, than keep flipping. And so, a whole most of the market is reserved for that. So, it was recommended to me to get a local phone number when I first arrived because that might give me a better in to like, oh, here's my phone number. Like, can we talk about this? And I actually did that a couple of times. I I, I went that route as opposed to, which I'll get to in a second, the other route, which is the Airbnb route. But, um, I, I did look into apartments and here's the problem with those as well. A, they have a two year lease or at least a year. So that's rough. And they're empty. Like you have to have your own furniture. And so it's like, okay, this is not really an option unless you're planning to move there for a while. Um, and so 
I went the Airbnb option, which was, thank you, Airbnb. They didn't get any money from me, but I did find my apartment through them on this specific case because I was, I looked for furnished places and I used Airbnb to do that. And then, um, the problem was I'm not going for a night or a week. I wanted three months. And so I actually contacted a couple of the owners to view their spots and discuss that. And I worked out a deal that way. And I paid, I had to pay in oh, actually paying was really difficult. Um, she wanted us dollars. They're always going to want us dollars. And because our dollar is, has, it's been stronger than the Argentinian peso. I mean, the poor peso. Actually, now it's worth half what it was when I was there, which hurts me because it makes me feel like I paid double for everything. And now everything is so cheap. But to give you an idea, I ended up getting a place that was, it was a little, it was expensive for me. Um, but I needed it at this time in my life. So I just decided to go for it. It was $700 a month. US in Argentina, which is kind of a lot, but I did have a lake view and a really bright, modern, like just renovated and with everything brand new apartment. It was really basically um, furnished, but it was enough for what I needed. And I stocked it with, um, with, you know, oil and sugar and um, toilet paper because they still had that at the stores then. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean that that gives us a good idea. And you said the prices have gone down since then. So yeah, like you, by you half. Kind of so if they're right. still asking you for seven hundred dollars a month, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you you can argue that. But yeah, I mean, of course, the local market goes up and down. But I kind of wanted yeah. to get uh, a vibe on that. And say you go out to like a nice steak yeah. dinner with a good bottle of Malbec mm -hmm. and a dessert. Mm -hmm. What are you roughly paying for something? 30 like bucks. when I was there, it was about 10 bucks or something, okay. 10, 12 when bucks. I, was I think now it'll be closer to that. When I was there, it was probably like for a nice dinner, 30, 30 bucks maybe for like the nicest steak on the menu and, and glasses of wine or beer. I actually likened it to the cost of living here in Montana. It was almost exactly the same for me at the time. So Montana, if you can imagine, it's probably, it's not the prices of New York city. It's not the prices of Boulder, but, um, it's not the prices of Mexico either. It's like kind of somewhere in the middle, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like Mira asked if you could just pay with a card. It sounds like cash, cash talks here. Oh um, man, there's could, paying with a credit card would be. Don't tough. rely on credit cards down there. You got to have cash. You got to have a way to get it. It's so annoying. Okay. And, <laughs> um, all right. So that's a cash society. Yeah. And, oh, could you have a local help you out to find an apartment, like a real estate agent or something? Or yeah. is that not really a you, thing? Yeah, okay. you can. In fact, the person that I ended up renting from worked at a property management company and owned yeah. a few of the properties herself. That's, I actually stumbled upon her through Airbnb, but it turns out that's what she does. And that's why she was, she had some of her own properties on the side, which is how I found her. Okay. So they do exist. Yeah. Um, and I even have, I have bulletins listed on my, on the, I have a blog post somewhere that has links for, it's like their version of Craigslist. Um, and I'm yeah. happy to share that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I always think finding a place look a little bit longer term. Of course, you can do it before you go, but I always feel like that's something that's better suited for just getting there. You know, having a place for a little while and then figuring it out and starting to talk to people and things like that in a good old fashioned way. Uh, not not being old fashioned, but I just think it works better. Like you get better deals. People know you're real. Like you know, it's a whole thing like that and the trust and all that. Uh, Mir was asking about medical care. I mean, I think 
you always want to have travel insurance when you're when you're traveling. I had to get a, a X-ray when I was there, and it was like I think it was free or like five ten bucks or something. Like I remember I had to get an X-ray, and it was like I got the results right away, and they said I was fine and stuff like that. But um, that's great. But that doesn't mean that <laughs> the medical care is good. I don't know. I, I um, actually can't speak to it either because knock on no. wood, I haven't had an experience there. Or Yay. anyone in my groups. So I haven't had to deal with that yet. I mean. Yeah. Cool. You want to uh, like kind of finish up with your your strongest top recommendations or just, it doesn't even have to be recommendations on spots or whatever, but just some advice on um, travel through this region. Yeah. One thing I didn't mention that we should talk about is the SUBE. There's a blue card for, this is for transportation. Everybody in Argentina, it's state or state, it's nationwide. They have, um, these little cards called SUBEs, S-U-B-E. And you get a SUBE for about five bucks, um, to begin with. And then that's what you use to top off and pay for all of your public transportation, no matter whether you're in I mean, it works in the city. It works in Bariloche, like these little blue cards. So if you're actually thinking about moving there, um, put that on your radar. And, you know, there's probably a million blog posts out there about how to get a SUBE. But just know that that's one of the things you're going to need is a SUBE. Um, And you know what's really cool? Another note about SUBEs is when you get on a bus and your SUBE is insuficiente and you don't have enough money on your SUBE for the pass or the uh, fare, um, people like look up and say, does, does anybody, can anybody spot me for this? And every time someone will jump up, cover your SUBE with their card, and then they'll usually give them like a little bit more cash than what the, what the SUBE was worth because they don't operate on cash. They operate on SUBE. Only on the bus is where the card thing like makes sense and works, but it's really cool because I actually have had to use it and it's, I've gone it, I've done it both ways before where I've, I've stood up for someone and paid for their fare. Someone has stood up for me and paid for my fare. Um, I mean, you can also keep track of your fare, but sometimes you forget to look at it and the balance and you forget to top it up. But anyway, SUBE is an important thing. Definitely get into the language, meet the people, like don't, don't be a hermit if you're going to Argentina. That's not, it's not for hermits. It's for social people, you know? And I think you'll, um, if you, if you let yourself out at the very beginning, experience everything you can go to a hacienda, like take a horse ride with a gaucho, let them tell you about what they do with the sheep and the history and how they've had to move their ranches and because of volcanic ash and, you know, like get to know the history the stories, because that land is like just like vibrating with, I don't know, life. And, um, I think the more you allow yourself to just soak it in the way better experience you're going to have and, and an appreciation for what is Argentina. Yeah. Still one of the best, I think the best piece of meat I ever ate in my life. Apologies to all the vegetarians and the vegans out there, but I'm not going to go super descriptive with, with the, with the piece of meat, but, uh, it was with one of these gauchos and it was like a horse ride kind of thing. Uh, where they took us out, and uh, I don't know, like he just, we stopped at this one place. He reached into the woods, pulled out this giant, like first of all, he pulled some stuff off the trees because he knew exactly what to take, and lit a fire in about five seconds. I was like, wow, that's some ancient cool stuff, you know. And then um, like you just have to know the land. It's like I'm just gonna pull this up, and bam. Uh, so there's like instant fire almost, and then he just pulls out this spit, and then takes like a hunk of meat out of a horse saddle, and just like puts it on this spit. 
and just starts cook casually cooking this thing and i'm just like all right i guess this is what we're going to be eating and oh my gosh it was so delicious and then i did the dumbest thing i ever did in my no not the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life, but one of the dumbest. I begged this guy to let me ride the horse fast. I've never ridden, really ridden a horse before, like a normal, like outside of, you know, I'm walking along with a horse. But this horse took off and I am lucky I'm not like paralyzed or dead. I just like instantly tried to stop the horse because I'm like, I can't handle this beast. And thankfully it slowed down after like not too long, but terrifying terrifying that's a real thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) i actually one of my friends um the first trip that i was in patagonia and we took a horse ride i think i'm on a horse every time i'm there but um she that happened to her and she actually was thrown and sustained a concussion she was okay but like it was really scary it's crazy and she yeah oh you know what no that was in chile and so never mind i was going to speak to the medical care it was good she got what she needed but that was in chile yeah, ride, ride your horse slow yeah. if you don't have experience. Take your horse down to the Old Town Road. You know, get your craft beer. <laughs> yeah. Whatever the case is. And, um, and remember, <laughs> Argentina is an original Wild West, just like Montana, I think. And there are a lot of similarities. Um, I mean, you can even go back to Butch Cassidy. Like, read those stories. Um, because it is. It's cowboy country. It still is. There's a lot of tradition down there. Rodeo. Um, major thing down there. Uh, I mean, that's the cattle industry, sheep farms, like all of that. It's, it's an original, original wild West and they still, um, honor a lot of their old traditions. Whereas you'd have to go pretty far into, um, the mountains of Montana to see that here, you know, you probably would, but down there, I mean, it's chaps and, you know, the gauchos with their traditional dress and everything. It's, it's amazing. So plenty of gorgeous nature and authentic culture as well to, to name just a couple of the many things we touched on today. And of course, check out travelingjackie.com because she mentions a lot of these posts and some helpful stuff there. And then uh, she's got her trips there if you're interested in traveling with her at some point. I know you're running a lot of trips down there, uh, right? I mean, I, maybe not right this second, but are you usually doing one or two a year? Yeah, I do down the Patagonia? one a year um, in, the, in our fall, which is their spring. So I'm still, despite... Um, what's going on right now in the world. I'm still hoping to be able to host that trip in November. Um, but yeah, I've, I, this will be my fifth one to Patagonia alone. I've, I've led four successfully down there the past four years and they're <sighs> unreal. Nice. Yeah. And um, Jump is your podcast. Yep. Did I miss anything? Um, just one thing. Some of those links that I mentioned are on the Budget Minded Traveler, which is my other blog so um that's a nice little wrench in the plans for you guys to find what you're looking for (laughs) but (laughs) there's i know there's stuff on both right on that's okay we well yeah they can go there too and find that stuff and we can link up into the show notes so thank you so much and we're gonna end the podcast now and but we're gonna keep you here to kind of hang out in our travel talk event for just a short bit um but thanks for sharing all of your knowledge on Argentina. Seems like a lot of you at, on this call here uh, have been there as well. So I'm excited to see if the what your recommendations are. So we'll hop off now. And um, thanks so much, Jackie. Okay, thank you. All right, take care. There you have it. Oh, man. 
I know we can't travel anywhere right now, social distancing and all that, but tell you what, when we're off and running, I can't wait to get back down to Argentina. And it's a place that my wife really loves so much as well. And we've never been there together. So I know we are going to get down there together because that's a place we both want to travel through again. We both have had wonderful experiences there. Shout out to any of you Argentinians out there listening to this show. I've gotten emails from some of you before. Love y'all. Just incredible people you are and awesome country. So there you have it. If you want more destination-themed episodes, I can bring them to you. Let me know. Let me know what destinations you want me to cover or any of the types of shows you want now. What can I help you with now? It's a special time. It's a different time for sure. I don't know if special is the right word. It's a different time. And we're going through some stuff. So yeah, this is a community-powered show. It always has been, always will be. And I want to bring you the stuff that you want. So if you've got some suggestions, hit me up, Jason at zero to travel. Dot com. Send me an email and let me know what you're up to. And you can also, of course, sign up over at zero to travel.com if you want to keep in touch and find out what's going on off the podcast. Because, yeah, I'm planning some more quote unquote live events, not live in person, but we can do some stuff online, certainly. And I'm thinking another podcast with uh, some of you there and present. Maybe we can crowdsource an episode together. That sounds like fun. So sign up if you want to find out about some of the the plans I'm plotting and scheming coming up here over the next weeks to help keep us all connected. And I've got some more special episodes coming your way. So subscribe and, you know, a nice review always brightens my day too. If you want to leave a review and you haven't done that, please go ahead and do that. All right, I will let you go. Before I do, I want to leave you with a quote that I've been leaning on heavily. It's a very famous Persian adage. Uh, It's been translated and used in many languages, and you've probably heard it. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. Stay safe, my friends. Stay healthy, stay strong, and I'll see you next time. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.